Welcome to the podcast for emerging and blue-collar leaders. This is The Growth Project. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Growth Project. Uh, good, good to have you with me again. And today I've been thinking about this one for a little while now, and I, I'm really excited to bring it to you. Today I have another guest, and this guest uh, is someone that, who I've had some um, interactions with from a client and provider relationship for um, on and off a little while ago. Uh, we're talking with Natasha Hanna. Natasha is a, an employment lawyer, and I'm going to get Tash to introduce herself in a moment. But uh, to set the scene, I guess, um, at a previous employer where I worked, Tash and I worked together for um, some staffing issues that we were working through and resolving and uh, really, really liked the way that, that she handled um, the situation and uh, we got, you know, got the outcome that we were looking for and been staying up to speed with what Natasha's been doing online uh, via LinkedIn for a while and I thought it would be a really good time to reconnect and explore a particular topic that I'll explain shortly. But firstly, um, Natasha, welcome to The Growth Project, firstly, and thanks for giving me some time to have a chat. Of course. No pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Natasha, if you could maybe just give give a bit more of an introduction about yourself and your background and what it is that you do. Hello, Jason. So, um, as you alluded to, my I'm an employment lawyer. I also say that I'm an employer, employment lawyer and HR specialist because my experience is a little bit more holistic, I like to think, than just the law. Um, so I've worked across private practice and in-house, so I've worked inside a business as well. And as part of that, as I said, I've got a little bit more of a holistic understanding of the ins and outs of how a business runs and dealing with all sorts of staffing issues from the inside as well. So that's the kind of service that I bring through um, my my legal service, yep. Yeah, fantastic. And you've uh, recently started your own venture as well, correct? Yeah. So yeah. Um, we, so as I said, I went, worked across private practice and in-house for many years and essentially, you know, for the listeners out there, don't know if you've dealt with lawyers, but lawyers get a very bad rap and I never felt really aligned with how a lot of the law firms practiced. Um, and so first part of the journey was to go in-house and see if that felt a little bit more right, but that wasn't quite right either. I really enjoyed the work. It just wasn't quite right either. So what I decided with my business partner as well, who was very much in the same boat, was let's create the place we wanted to work, where we always felt that we could be truly ourselves. And so we created our own law firm. And both having worked in private practice and in-house, our firm is a is sort of a sweet spot between the two. So we kind of offer that outsourced in-house legal counsel service um, and we started that about a year ago, officially launched at the end of last year, um, and it's been going really well and we've really found those clients that are aligned with the way we like to work, which we say is less lawyer and more human. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and um, when that's actually the, the the tagline on your website, right, it's the first thing I saw is less is. lawyer, more human. <laughs> and and I have to say, I yeah. can, I really that really resonates with me because the experience that we had working together on what we were handling 
uh, that that was that very much came through. There was something different about the way you were interacting with me and guiding me through that process than I'd had with anyone else before. So and I think oh, I'm not surprised you. that you've got clients following you. <laughs> yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah, and I think lawyers can be human in how they approach things and particularly with the stuff we're going to talk about, people issues. I don't know how you can't apply a human approach. I just it's I don't think it's possible. Yeah, completely agree. So if I give a little bit of a picture to the listeners about what it is we're exploring today, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast so far talking to leaders and I'm trying to really target blue collar leaders and and I've got a mixture of people who listen who both work for large companies and I've got people who employ one single person, right? So, uh, and you see some really different approaches on how people handle things. Of course, the people that work for your large employers, they've got HR departments that are dedicated to handling issues and things like that. And they've got processes, strong processes in place to utilize. But you you look at to the other side of, of the fence there and you look at, you know, small contractors who don't have policies and procedures for managing people things. And you see some things that make that raise eyebrows to say it nicely and go, well, gee, um, I don't know that I would have quite handled things that way. Um, you might be leaving yourself open and things like that because what I think some people mm. might have a tendency to to forget is that the employment law is employment law. It doesn't – it's not like here's the law for large business and here's the law for small business. And I think sometimes mm. people don't realise how exposed they might be. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, we um, – yeah, we, we do obviously see that a bit and we have a bit of a saying, kind of like the gangster saying, um, comply or die. It is a bit like that. Unfortunately, the law doesn't change and bend. There's grey areas, sure, and, you know, that's where if you work with an experienced HR practitioner or, you know, a lawyer, you can find the ways to navigate some of those grey areas. But, you know, for the most part, there's set rules, regulations about what is considered, you know, meeting your obligations. And, yeah, unfortunately, I'd be – and. Probably you would be partly out of a job too if, you know, some businesses just didn't get this right. And that's okay too. But, yeah, it's about learning, okay, how do we navigate this situation and, and tick all the boxes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when um, we, we've, we've focused talking to people about a lot about handling difficult conversations and things like that, and we had a little bit of interaction prior to this, um, this recording and, you know, so we're kind of zooming out from the, the topic, the micro topics I've been exploring. Uh, we're zooming out from that here. And um, so when, mm. when we have, um, let's put, let's maybe explore the context of a small contractor who might employ one or two people and they're, they've mm. been maybe facing some issues with a staff member um, and, uh what we, what I sometimes see, and I've, I've even had people calling me for advice, and I sort of say to them, "Well, look, what, what, ha, what have you done so far? What conversations have you had with somebody before it's gotten to this point where you're asking me how do I fire somebody, or how, how can I, how, mm. you know, I don't think this person's right, the right fit." Um, I sort of start with, "Well, what have you done so far?" Because they're going from if if you haven't had any of those conversations. You can't really go straight to the end point there, really. And, mm. and I think it does still sometimes go to that point. But 
Um, what are your and the, there's you mentioned formal versus informal uh, performance management. Can you give people a bit of an insight as to what is the difference between the two? Yeah, yeah. So you and I had a bit of a chat about some of the things we see and informal versus formal performance management. I think it's a really good discussion to have, um, particularly for those smaller businesses, like you said, who might not have in-house trained HR personnel. So they're just doing their best, and that's okay. But yeah, essentially, what we what you see is um, depending on the gravity of the conduct or how serious it is, a business owner or leader may decide to just take an informal approach. And so what we're talking about here is, you know, something really not really consequential to the operations um, or the daily duties, but it's something that, you know, the standard's not quite hitting the mark and so you have to have a conversation. That's okay to have an informal conversation about those sorts of things. So it might be something even like, you know, lateness, maybe they didn't follow follow a procedure that you'd set, nothing, of course, too consequential, something sort of administrative perhaps, and so you're having a conversation and you're saying, hey, this is the expectation that we had here. Can you, you know, work on that for next time? And that sort of informal chat is um, it's great to have and I strongly recommend it, but it is for a certain set of, I guess, less serious um, performance and conduct issues. And then on the flip side, you've got um, for formal performance management, which I think is where you've got a systemic pattern of conduct or behaviour that's not acceptable. So usually formal performance management will be um, a byproduct of informal performance management, not just quite having um, the intended effect, so solving the issue. And so then you move into formal performance management. And so formal performance management might be, you know, as I said, a pattern of behaviour where the performance or conduct is just not hitting the mark. So there's, you know, say um, a procedure again that the employee is meant to follow. They're just consistently not failing to meet that um, those procedural requirements or then maybe haven't even read the procedure. That happens too. And so it's drawing their attention to this is the standard expected. This is um, when we expect improvement by and then sort of having that monitoring period. And all of this is captured in writing. So it's a formal document. And ultimately, you know, the goal is usually to have that employee improve to the standard expected and then, you know, it all goes away. But if it doesn't improve, usually we're going through that process because we're not happy and if it's going to continue, we want to terminate this employee. So the goal of the performance management plan or formal performance management is ultimately if they don't improve over that period that you set, you, you have that sort of evidentiary paper trail to terminate. Um, and I think where employee employers typically get stuck is where it jumps from informal to formal. Um, and sometimes, in fact, probably more often than not, it should be in formal territory, but it's still in informal territory. And like you said before, then the, the leader or the employer is, is really frustrated because they haven't sort of got enough to back them to terminate. <laughs> And they kind of do need to have that before they terminate, which is obviously extremely frustrating. Yeah, definitely. And if we can circle back a little bit on, uh, you mentioned procedure yeah, a few sure. times. So there's a couple of aspects to this. So you're you're sort of talking about a scenario where an employee hasn't followed a, maybe a technical procedure at work or, and it's caused problems or it's caused harm or cost or anything like that. But then there's also the procedure mm. from the, from the perspective of your HR processes perspective. So when when we do need to take things into the formal space, 
you need to have procedures to deal with that that spells out clearly what these are the steps we follow if we've got a problem that we're trying to handle. And I think, would you agree that for people who are smaller employers, that's sometimes where they're like, they actually don't have that process in place to actually leverage off in the first place? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it can make it obviously really hard when, you again, you don't have that expertise. Doesn't mean you can't create a process, but you probably do, yeah, need some guidance to shepherd you through what a, a nice structured process will look like. And that, look, there's lots of resources out there as well. Um, but ideally, you want to be coached by someone with the expertise in that area. Yeah. Do you have, I mean, we obviously not, we can't go into specific things that you've experienced, but um, do you see often people coming to you with that kind of scenario that I've got a really difficult situation here. We're at the point where we just can't sustain this anymore, but you're looking at it going, yep. we're starting from scratch. Yeah. Like you said, I, I, I'm the same. I ask, okay, show me everything you've got to date. How long it, has it been going on? And I sort of obviously ask a few more other basic questions like how long has this employee been with you? What's the seniority level? Can I see their position description? Fingers crossed there is one. Um, and then we sort of get a picture. Okay. Was the employee given adequate opportunity to understand what was required of them? Um, because sometimes that's actually not been the case. So the employer thinks that they've made it clear and the employee has no idea what's expected or it's not been formalised, so, so that's an issue. Um, and then, yeah, we sort of unpack, okay, well, what have you done so far? Is it enough to tick those boxes to mitigate the risk of a claim? Um, and we can obviously talk about that as well. But if not, unfortunately, I find myself probably more often than not, to be honest, Jason, going back and saying, look, we haven't done enough here. We're going to have to go back and just add in a few more bits of, I guess, paper trail, if you like, so that in the event of a claim, you can say, well, here's the piece of paper. This is where we warn them. The performance didn't improve. So, you know, regrettably, we had to terminate. Yeah, and we're not always looking. We're, we're not always looking for for that as the outcome, right? Because we'd like to think that the no. genuine desire is to have the improvement and to resolve the issue genuinely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. what we're aiming for. But sometimes those improvements don't happen. Um, so obviously, though, mm. there is. Um, and and look, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking for you to give the listeners a ton of free legal advice, but. Um, no, no, go for it. <laughs> but when it comes to um, uh, the when it comes to the desire to really see an improvement, um, what sort of things would you recommend? You know that someone can do in the informal space to actually course correct. Mm. Yeah, and look, and it's a really good point as well because I think. Um, I actually find it frustrating when a client, potential client or comes to me and says, we want to terminate this person, have we done enough? Whereas I'd actually rather than, like you say, come to me and say, okay, we're here. Um, at this stage, we still want to keep them. We want to work with them to improve the performance and hopefully this can just go away. And I think, unfortunately, myself as well as other HR consultants and practitioners probably, you know, more often than not are dealing with a reactive situation rather than a proactive willingness to have this employee improve and stay on board. But um, so, yeah, I think that that is a really good way to look at it and I really encourage um, business owners and leaders to approach it that way from the earliest opportunity. Um, so, yeah, as you said, as part of the informal process, it's about just having conversations um, at the earliest opportunity. Don't delay. So, you know, whatever it is, no matter, like I, I usually say to clients, 
it doesn't have to be big. If it's just something little, have a conversation. And then ideally, um, again, depends on the situation, but ideally then send an email as just a bit of a record for your own purposes about that conversation that you had. So, you know, hey, Jason, just confirming we had this conversation today and moving forward, you're going to do X and I'll do this. And, you know, even offer something that you can do as a business or a leader to help that employee set them up for success. So I think I'd very much encourage um, leaders and, and business owners to try to think of a way to, yeah, essentially work with that employee. Don't see it as you're right and they're wrong, if you like. Yeah, because what we can sometimes see and and some of the conversations I've had when people have approached me, when we start when I start asking probing questions and um and I always tell them, look, I'm I'm not the person to be going to for legal advice, but really, if you really have an a have a um have a close look at how you've handled things so far, firstly, you need to ask yourself the question, are you are you willing to help improve the situation because in some cases the response has been a blunt, no, I'm not willing. It's, it's gone mm. too far. Um, but sometimes I find when, when we say, well, um, we, we want to, we want to help them improve things. Uh, but, or, or it might even be that, look, we, they're not following my, they're not meeting my expectations. They're not following the rules. They're not following the procedures. They're not improving. Um, you know, have you given them opportunities? Like you said before, have you, have they ever been told what the expectation is? Mm, and I think in some cases yeah. the answer is probably honestly no. Um, have they been told, mm. have they been shown? And even if you do have processes and procedures in place, um, even for the conflict resolution side of things, if, if we have procedures in place, was the employee ever told about what that process looks like as well? That does the, has mm. the employee been informed about um, if we have a dispute about something, this is how we handle it? And um, mm. and I think that that's for small business that can be lacking severely as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, in most cases the employee or leader has not necessarily done as well as they probably think they have. And so I encourage them to check themselves and say, okay, but did you do this? Was it, you know, in their position description, did they know that that was what was expected? Did you have a conversation? Um, you know, and look, we're all human. Um, we create ideas and narratives in our head around what may have went down, but that's not really useful in this context, particularly if you do want to genuinely continue a, a working relationship with an employee. So, yeah, I, as I said, I encourage it to be an open conversation, try to work together to find a solution. And I guess to add to that um, as well, you know, open questions, ask the employee questions, try to figure out where this has broken down. Um, and this is obviously only really suited to those sort of initial informal conversations. And from there, hopefully you start establishing a little bit of a story and, you know, a paper trail around what's going on. And if needed, it can then progress later and escalate. Yeah, really important points. Um, can I ask though to to pivot a tiny bit? Do you think that sometimes mm. that some of the problems can just really be coming from a lack of compassion? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, and that's it's funny you say that because I'm very big on empathy. Um, as we sort of said at the outset, that's my approach in how I do legals. But I think leaders, I mean, empathy and compassion is a critical skill, and um. Not everyone has it in in the sense that 
I don't mean everyone, some people are sociopaths, but that may be true. <laughs> but it is a skill that you need to practice. And I mean, leadership is a skill. It, you don't, you're not born overnight. Some people are made leaders via promotion. Some people start a business and then they find themselves in a leadership position and they've never had that experience. And so I encourage um, people in these positions really need to practice those skills. So yeah, I agree. You're, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. And it, really to to become proficient in those skills i push really hard that, that there's no shortcut to proficiency there no. you have to you get have to comfortable with the them. uncomfortable yeah yeah get comfortable with the uncomfortable i mean i think about some of the conversations i've had and i just cringe at um you know some of the early conversations that i've had when i've had people you know working for me i just thought oh i probably didn't word that the best or and that's okay like mm. we can only learn through doing it's one of those skills that you can only learn through doing yeah and then as part of that, so, again, you have a conversation and then check in with the employee. Does that, you know, how did that feel? Could you give me any feedback about how you think this conversation went? That, you know, all it is really difficult to ask those questions, but you should, if you care about being a good leader, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I'm loving that people are on, that listen are hearing it from someone other than me as well. That's awesome. Um, there's some <laughs> alignment there. Um, so yeah. with um, – if we look at, you know, there, there's going to be people who listen to this and I, I already know who some of the people are who are going to listen to this and go, oh, geez, why are you talking about this? This, you know, you're going to cause me problems or um, yeah, that's <laughs> not going to happen to me uh, because what I, the way my career has evolved is I like to think that there's a there's an empathy there for, the, for my fellow human and that I don't know what necessarily what people are going through and I'd like to deal with things in a more emotionally evolved way manner um, and those are my motivations for treating people well and having good processes in place and having those uncomfortable conversations but mm. for the people who that doesn't necessarily matter as much for they don't feel that compulsion to do that or to for those reasons can we give them some facts about okay well let's give you some legal motivation to put better practices in place what can yeah. go wrong yeah fear tactic i like it um <laughs> yeah look and that's okay it is hard and you know everyone has their own reasons as to why things are uncomfortable um so i would first say you know try to find a level where you can you know if it means for example where you can feel comfortable so if it means you have to write some talking points and that you have to read them just to get some of those bits out that you probably care about saying but you just can't that's okay I would recommend that as well but yeah let's say hypothetically just say you know what screw it this is my employee this is what I expect um they haven't delivered so they're out sort of thing because I do get those people too the first thing I'll say before I talk about what goes wrong I guess it is part of it though is that sort of approach is going to have an impact on your culture. It creates a culture where there's no trust, um, there's no transparency, and so it's really employees just feel like they're a number. Um, and ultimately, I don't think that that's going to be good for business. So if anything, you know, um, that as a longer-term outlook, I would really encourage um, those sorts of people to think about that because employees will leave. And particularly the market we're in, employees are not sticking around. They are looking for places where they enjoy going to work, where they feel valued, where they feel respected, where they feel like their, you know, their contributions are welcome. So anyway, that's just my kind of um, my view on on that and the impact of that more generally. But yeah, where things could go wrong, if this helps, this is some fear tactics. So um, 
where essentially where a conversation, uh, you know, you're having a performance or conduct related conversation, it hasn't gone um, very well. Perhaps you haven't had as many conversations as you needed to because you've avoided them. Ultimately, um, the employee then has a couple of claim options available to them. The most common one um, that your listeners may have heard of is unfair dismissal. And there's a couple of criteria that they need to satisfy an employee before they make that claim. But that looks at the procedural fairness in the dismissal. So what were the steps that you took? And one of those steps actually is, um, did they receive warnings about unsatisfactory performance? So that's that's one of the tick boxes, if you like. Um, and also, was there a valid reason for termination? So in an unfair dismissal claim, you have to overcome that burden. So it'll you know, it'll cause you to go back and say, okay, well, what conversations do we have? What evidentiary paper trail do we have to back ourselves in and defend ourselves? Um, and then the other type of common claim is called a general protections claim, and that looks at the reason for the termination. And this is more so dealing with um, situations where uh, there might be a discriminatory reason for termination, but also where what I see most commonly is an employee has raised some complaints about their, uh, their employment. So maybe they've got a manager that's bullying them. This is quite common. Um, they've raised that complaint up the channels. Um, and then ultimately the business leader or owner doesn't like it and they get rid of them because this is too hard basket. This person's a complainer. don't want to deal with them. Let's get them out. Um, but unfortunately, the employee can make a claim about that. That's That would fall under the general protections claim jurisdiction. Um, and with that claim, if this scares you a little bit, it's actually um, a reverse onus. So what that means is you're guilty until, until proven innocent. So you have to actually show why the employee is wrong in the claim they're making. Mm. And if the Fair Work Commission's not satisfied, you're in big trouble. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's some motivation there in buckets. <laughs> so can I just ask, though, because you mentioned um, that it would look at things like in, in from a procedural fairness perspective, was the employee warned about um, issues with their performance? Does it also matter how you conducted that warning process? Um, no, it's a good, really good question. So best practice is, of course, to have warnings in writing. Yep. Um, but if you had formal, if you had warnings verbally that you were some able, somehow able to prove, so I don't know, you had taken a contemporaneous diary note, so you took a note at the time saying I had this conversation with Jason and this is what he said and this is what I said, look, that might stand up. Um, but, yeah, of course, your best, um, you're going to be best placed to defend an unfair dismissal claim if you've got a written warning you can produce before the Fair Work Commission. Yeah, perfect. And what about with, let's talk about um, for the small employer, the importance of employment contracts and having a good a good contract in place. Uh, how would you rate the importance of that and how can small businesses go about it? Yeah. So, look, there's lots of options these days, which is fabulous in terms of um, uh, platforms that are offering low-cost options for employment contracts. And, uh, of course, you can go to a lawyer to get one done up that's tailored. Um, and so it will just come down to your budget and size of your business. But, of course, you know, it'd be remiss of me not to say that you do want something that's tailored to your business and what's important to your business. Um, but, yeah, it, it, employment contracts really important to set out the terms and conditions from the outset about 
how um, what's expected of the relationship. And I guess from a performance perspective, saying things like you're required to follow reasonable and lawful directions, you're required to, you know, carry out your duties with due care and skill, things like that should go in there. Um, another critical one is reference to your workplace policies and um, the fact that they need to comply. So um, the other thing as well with an employment contract, if we do find ourselves in a situation where you do need to terminate an employee, you want to be clear about what are the notice provisions there, for example. Um, otherwise, you may be relying on the Fair Work um, the Fair Work Act's minimums, which is okay as well. But some employers, uh, and I predominantly work with employers, really like to customise that. Um, so, for example, if an employee resigns, you might want them to provide you with four weeks' notice. But if you don't have a contract clause about that, then that's not going to be clear and they can just sort of take off with a week's notice um, depending on their length of service. So, yeah, important for a whole raft of reasons, but in the context of today, it's really about setting those um, those standards expected, yeah, in the contract. Yeah, good advice, good advice. So um, when, when it comes to finding those services. I mean, obviously they can go to in-house now, right? That's one place they can absolutely go to for that kind of thing. Um, but uh, you mentioned that there are lots of options and and my understanding yep. is that Fair Work Australia even have some templates available as well that people they can do. go to. They do, yeah. They've got some great resources actually. Um, so, yeah, plenty out there and I'm, you know, this is definitely not me trying to say, hey, come to me. Um there's plenty of low-cost options out there. Um, and, look, if, if if anyone wants to get in touch, I'm more than happy also to just point you in the direction of some options as well. There's different options depending on, um, yeah, sort of where you're placed and what you're looking for. But I agree, Fair Work Australia has some amazing templates. They have a resource library. They have things like they have a performance improvement plan template. They have a warning letter. They have a termination letter. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. They're basic, but they're good. They're better than nothing, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely better than nothing, right? So um, yeah. before we do wrap things up, Natasha, if I could just shift gears a little bit because I've, I've seen some, been following your activity on LinkedIn for a while and um, you've been really trying to, I guess, advocate for and provide advice to support working parents because in this day and age it's really hard isn't it to manage a career and personal life and mm. it, it's not easy so um and i've seen some activity from you on linkedin that i've really enjoyed uh, following around how can you provide some meaningful flexibility and supports to team members and employees um mm to support them in uh, managing their work-life balance because I think sometimes a lot of people can't see the value in focusing energy on that. And 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 really sometimes it comes down to cost and the perception that mm. it's going to cost me a lot of money so I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to entertain it. Um, can you share some insights maybe about why it's, it's really a valuable thing to consider to really explore the flexibility options for your team members? Yeah, yep. And look, the data is showing that employees generally want flexibility. Um, so I think, in my view, if you're not offering flexibility, obviously depends on the business you run, um, but if you're not offering flexibility, you're going to fall behind the eight ball. 
um, you're going to lose staff. Staff will vote with their feet and they'll go somewhere where they'll get it. That's that's just what the data is telling us. So it'll look different for every business and, you know, and the way that and what requirements you have in terms of having staff. You know, if you have staff that are client-facing, of course, that's a no-brainer. You need them there. But I'd really just encourage businesses to think about ways that they can offer flexibility um, and do things in a way that's agile. Um, and using technology, for example, can things be done in a way that um, will allow employees to work flexibly? But yeah, in terms of uh, for parents, because as you say, I'm a very that's something I'm very passionate about um, supporting working parents. Um, for the listeners' benefit, um, I have two year old twins. Um, so the last two years has been quite a circus and wild ride. Um, and I've learned, you know, through baptism of fire about how hard it is to transition back to work. Um, so I would just encourage businesses to think about the entire cycle from, you know, when someone finds out they're pregnant, they go on to parental leave, then they come back to work. Think about the ways that you can make them still feel valued. Um, I think that's really important. Um, and then ways that you can support them that are, like you said, no cost. So whether it is regular touch points, whether you organise, you know, a farewell lunch and then when they come back you have um, a welcome back lunch or you offer them, you know, some. you already have some projects or tasks lined up that they can jump straight back into and get that energy back. Um, so those are really easy, no-cost options to make them feel integrated back into the workplace. And then, of course, as we said, what are the ways that you can offer flexibility? So do they have to work nine to five or can they work flexibly across the day? And um, as part of that, I'd encourage uh, leaders and business owners to think about um, just focusing on the output. Are they getting the work done? Do you like this employee? Are they adding value? That's all that matters. So if it's possible to work outside the traditional nine to five, let them. Um, they will love you for it. <laughs> Absolutely they will. And and I, I I love that the data is clearly showing that too because it really paints the picture that whether you agree with it or not, this is happening. People are preferring yeah, that. Happening. And whether you agree with it or not, you can put your head in the sand and say, no, 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 this is what I'm going to do at my business. Um, Good luck. People, like you said, people <laughs> will vote with their feet. Yeah. And yeah. let's not forget about the cost involved in recruit, recruiting and replacing people as well. So if you want yes. to put dollar figure on it, yeah. Yeah. Well, the last I heard um, it was, um, I think I heard someone say recently that was up to a year and a half of cost, but I, I'd say it's anywhere between at least six months of salary for that role up to probably two years, depending on how complex, you know, the role is, the retraining required. What if your recruitment drive doesn't go well and you, it's taking forever and then you start, it starts costing you money to not have that person. So I just, yeah, you really need to think long game about if you care about this employee, what's the effect on your business if you don't have them? Yep, definitely. And 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 just accepting the reality too that society is changing, mm. the world around us is changing. So if we're not changing these structures with it, then something's not aligned. We're not aligned. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's right. It's the new yep. world. Get on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get on board. Um Natasha, I've really enjoyed our, our chat, but before we do wrap it up, can uh, where can people find you? Because if I'm going to say, if people, if people, if you need advice, you need some help with customising your processes and employment contracts and things like that, or you've, you're having staffing issues that you need some guidance with, um, then I would absolutely recommend getting in touch with Natasha. Uh, but Natasha, where can people find you and get in touch with you? 
Thanks, Jason. That's generous. Um, yeah, so, and as I said, I really do mean it. Happy to also just point people in the direction of some useful um, resources as well. But best, easiest way to find me and best way to find me is on LinkedIn. And you should be able to just type Natasha Hanna AU and I'll come up. Um, we also have a company um, page as well as an Instagram. But, yeah, depends where, where you like to, to live on social media. Sure. And we'll put those links in the show notes as well for everyone to access as well. But, um, but Natasha, again, thank you so much for spending some time out of your day to talk to me. And I, and I'm, I'm sure that whether people enjoy listening to this or not, um, there's some, there's really valuable advice in there that I think is gold for people. So, uh, honestly, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So everybody, thanks. I hope you've gotten something out of that. Um, please check out Natasha's details in the show notes. Get in touch if, you've, if you need any, th- any support or advice. Otherwise, until the next episode, stay well, look after each other, look after your people, and I'll catch you next time.